So, okay. Let's start off. Um, are there any prayer requests? Because we're going to start off with prayer. Uh, I heard that Virginia Monroe passed last night. So we need prayers for that family. Any other prayers that you like? Yes. Okay, so Vi Barnes. Uh, Vi Barnes is in uh, anticipation. Oh, Sparks. By Sparks. I'm sorry, Sparks. She's in t intensive care. Very ill. Well, if there are no other prayer requests, uh, let's open in prayer. Father, we, we thank you and praise you that you have given us the opportunity to come together, to read your word, to learn from you, and to learn who you are, and to come closer to you. We ask that you bless what's said today, if it's true, and what isn't your word, what isn't truth, will be forgotten. We ask that you bless uh, the family of Virginia Monroe, that you uh, ease their grief, and you uh, give them the joy of knowing that Virginia is with you in heaven. And we, and we also lift up Vice Sparks, uh, that you will have the doctors uh, touched with your healing power to heal her, and at this time will be a one of blessing for her and for her family and for the, the medical people taking care of her, for all to be for your glory. We ask you bless what is done today, that you Forgive me my sins as I try to present uh, your word and that you bless everyone in this class and everyone who hears this and everyone who would be in this class and those who can't be here. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please get a, a handout. Um, and, and as I said in the rules, if you want coffee, get up and get it at any time. I might get up and get it in the middle of the whole thing. <clears throat> Thank you. Well, okay. So before you, you see an early Rembrandt, this, he called it an old woman praying. And as a, as a doctor, as a physician, uh, she doesn't look like much of a live person. She looks like she's mummified to me. But Oops, I have to go back one. But here, we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to do an overview of prayer that's going to launch us into a study of the Lord's Prayer starting next week. This, I don't have the date on it, this was, this was later in Rembrandt's career. As you see, the, the, the character has a lot more features. There's more well, character expressed by Rembrandt in this one. And so this is a later, it just shows the, the things that a person's talent grows, develops, evolves. So you can see that the person has a lot more concern about things, but he's more alive in his concern. So I thought that was a kind of interesting thing about Rembrandt. So, uh, I'm a medical person, I go to a medical clinic, I go to medical conferences, and they, the speaker always has disclaimers. 
Now the disclaimers are supposed to make sure that they're not biased in a way, you know, they're, they're a spokesperson for a drug company or something like that. So I'm going to give you disclaimers because that's what you do if you talk in a medical con convention. So my disclaimers are the following. First, I firmly believe that scripture is infallible. It's true because it's God-breathed. That's what 2 Timothy tells us. And it's God-breathed in the original writing. Now what we get to read tonight is a translation, which means that every translation is a paraphrase because you have to figure out how to say the original word in the new language. Doesn't mean it's bad, doesn't mean it's false, but it means that it's good to get multiple translations in order to get the true meaning of the word. And if you can, go back to the original languages. And incidentally, the scriptures are more tested, more tested by far than any other ancient writing. There are over 2,000 copies from the second, third, and fourth centuries of the scriptures. You know, Plato's writing, there's six. So, you know, we, it's, we say all these things are true, that Plato wrote that. Well, we have the most attestation to the veracity, to the truth of the scriptures of any other ancient writing. Okay. Scripture is best illuminated by scripture. It is consistent. If it appears to be inconsistent, that means that our understanding is not complete. Again, remember, we're reading English for the most part, and that's a translation, is a paraphrase. There are a few Hebrew words that they're not even sure how to translate them at all. There are a few Greek words that Paul made up, not Paul Beyer, but Paul the Apostle, that uh, he, first time you ever saw the word, he made the word up. He was like Shakespeare. Okay? God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent as revealed by Scripture. He's everywhere, and He's powerful. He's God. He's completely other. And we would not know of Him unless He revealed Himself. And finally, Jesus is fully divine and fully human as explained by the Gospel. Now, I'm letting you know that this is where I'm coming from, so that you understand how I'm presenting the, the class. So you'll understand how I view things. Now, they would say it's a bias. I think it's recognizing the truth. Incidentally, the background is a woodblock print by a fellow by the name of Gustave Dor, or Dore, and it's uh, from the scene in Gethsemane. So I try to put a little art in here just for, I don't know, because it's more interesting than I am, probably. Okay, types of prayer. When you talk about prayer, everyone goes into classifications and descriptions. So, okay, I'm, I'm going to at least acknowledge that that's how we usually look at a talk about prayer. And so let's look at these. I need some readings. You ready? So I need someone to do the Psalms 18 and the Psalms 103. Okay, so there's Adorate, okay. I'll do Psalm 18. Um, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. My, my shield, the other one is a, a 103. First 
Verse 5. So here we have adoration. Adoration is acknowledging God for being majestic, for being loving, for being good, for being great. That's what adoration really does. It acknowledges God for who He is. Another way is Thanksgiving. Philippians. I need a Philippians reader. You have Philippians? So thanksgiving for all the goodness that God gives us. Where does our good come from? God alone. Everything that's good is from God. And so that's goodness, that's thanksgiving for very life. If we were able to do a study into that, our very life is a gift of God through the Holy Spirit. He breathes our life into us. That's Thanksgiving, for our very existence, for everything we get, everything that's good is from God, from above. Now the next one is from Job. I need a Job reader, and then there's a James. Job, anyone want to do Job? Okay. Well, I have it. Well, you can read. Now, that's intercession. That's praying for someone else. Notice who commanded, who told them, Job, to intercede? God. God told Job to pray to God on behalf of his friends. That's kind of an interesting concept. God wants us to pray to him on behalf of others. That's exactly what he's telling them. Why does, God doesn't need to be told what needs to be done. That God told Job what to pray about. But still, God wanted us to pray. Now, God is a God of purpose. He doesn't do anything without a purpose. So there's a purpose to that. And we're going to try to understand this more as we, get in, as we do a deep dive into prayer. What about James? Anyone like to read James? Therefore, confess your sins to each other 
and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of righteous of the right, a righteous person is powerful and effective. So praying for each other, I mean, we're told to do that. That's what, what uh, James tells us to do. Praying for each other is a way of connecting each other, connecting us to each other. Okay, and the last part of this one is petition. So this is another Psalms. You got it. So petition, petition is where we're asking God for ourselves. Actually, it's, it's a list of things. And it's, it may be our extended selves, our family. But petition is really what we ask God to intervene in our lives. Not that it changes God, but it changes us. That's what petition does. Okay, so... Types of prayer, that's kind of the common thing you're going to get in every Sunday school class. But there are other types of prayer. So, you know, the InterVarsity Press says they're prayers of orientation and disorientation. Prayer and intermediaries and prayers of reorientation. It's all about orientations and your settings in life. So that's one way to classify prayer. But there are other ways to classify prayer. Ejaculatory prayers, the exclamations, secret prayers. Okay, that might be like, uh, oh, Lord, help me to make an A on this test I didn't study for. Uh, okay, that might be a secret prayer. Family prayers, social prayers, you know. So there are lots of different ways to classify prayers if you're just going to look at, well, what kind of prayers are there. But well, I'm a biologist, a physician. I, I don't want to just classify things. I want to know how it works. What really is happening here? So, what is prayer? I mean, it's like saying, what is energy? Except we have scriptures to help us. Well, we know what energy does. We can classify kinds of energy. But what is energy? What is prayer? From a mechanistic, from an existential, from a material reality of what we're doing. What is prayer? And there's another question. And I think if you answer one question, you help to inform us about the answer to the other question, vice versa. Since Jesus is God, why did he need to pray? 
We have plenty of evidence from the New Testament that Jesus said, I need to go off and pray. I think these are two interesting questions because they get to what prayer really is and does. So to answer these things, we need to have some more readings. I need a bunch of readers. I gave you the outline about what to read. What is prayer? Genesis 4. So we get from Genesis that prayer is calling on the name of the Lord. Now calling on the name of the Lord is not just saying the temple, the temple, the temple. Or repeating a bunch of Hail Marys or things like that. Calling on the name of the Lord is calling to be engaged with and to try to become part of or come under the umbrella of the name of the Lord. It's not just simple stuff. It's not just, I'm going to call in Jesus' name and we're okay. Calling on the name of the Lord is really trying to become a part of that relationship and engaged in that relationship. Okay, what's next? What else do we know about prayer? Ephesians. Who likes to read Ephesians? Read it. You got it. So what does this really tell us about prayer? It's an action of the Holy Spirit. We, without the Holy Spirit, are incapable of effectual prayer. In fact, without the Holy Spirit, I would put forth the concept that perhaps we're incapable of anything good. Because prayer is good. We all agree to that, I hope. Without the Holy Spirit, we're not capable of effectual prayer, of communicating with God the Father. And so this says to us that prayer is an action of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that I generate or you generate. It's generated in us through the working of the Holy Spirit. Psalms. I need another psalmist. It's just two-verse two psalm. Anyone want to be a psalmist? Yeah, 27, 28. Milt, you're a great psalmist. No, 73. Sorry, I'm sorry, 73. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's something wrong with the keyboard. (laughs) My fingers. Uh, It's 73. I'm sorry, 73. So the telling is really praying and is drawing closer to God. 
So prayer is drawing closer to God. So we're learning something about prayer. What is prayer? Well, Urban says, it's a primary means of communication that binds together God and humans, kind, but God and people, God and a person in an intimate and reciprocal, not just one way, reciprocal relationship. Its foundational assumption is the belief that the creator of the world is both available for our human address and committed to that relationship, that partnership that sustains and when necessary restores the world or the people in the world in accordance with his design. It's an interaction. Okay. Tim Keller gives us some more information. Prayer is continuing a conversation that God started. Well, we're good Presbyterians. We understand this. God starts it. He initiates it. Prayer is continuing a conversation that God started because we wouldn't know to pray if unless God started it and let us know that he exists. God started through his word and his grace which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. Okay? We pray in response to God himself. We call that becoming a full encounter sanctification. Your progress from time, you become a believer and justified until you get home. Sanctification. Okay? I thought that was a pretty good definition of what prayer is. But what about the other point? Since Jesus is God, why did he need to pray? Doesn't he, doesn't he already know everything? Don't they have instantaneous communication? Okay. To understand this, I thought we need to look at the participants in this prayer about Jesus. There's the Father, there's the Son, and of course there's the Holy Spirit that connects. Okay? So again, one question answers informs the other question for answers. Okay, let's look at the Father. God the Father. What do we know? Well, we're going to need to have some readings here. A Malachi, a James, and a Jonah. Go. Repeat verse 6 one more time. I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why the descendants of Jacob are not already. So this is talking about God being immutable. Immutable means he doesn't change. If he doesn't change, why prayer? Well, God, prayer doesn't change God. Who does prayer change? Yes, us. But notice, 
We're going to notice more, so we need to have the James. God is immutable, but there's something about that that you need to understand. James 1, 17 and 18. Who loves James? So this really talks about God has purpose. And you can't have purpose in an abstract way. You know, purpose involves wanting something to happen. What about Jonah? So what we have learned is that God is immutable. He does not change, but he's not emotionless. He's not emotionless. He loves. He loves to give his gifts. He loves to have us benefit from repenting and turning to him. And that means also that God is a God of purpose. He has a purpose. Whatever's done, whatever happens, whatever's in this world, this universe, has a purpose. Prayer is in this world, so prayer must have a purpose. Okay, let's keep on learning about God the Father. God is omnipresent, but not intrusive. Psalm, this is a long psalm. Who wants to be the psalmist this time? It's a long psalm. Anybody? Okay, then I'll have to read it. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, Behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me, your right hand will lay hold of me. 
If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as day. Darkness and light are alike to you. He's everywhere. This is far superior to Santa Claus. God is everywhere. He is even in Sheol. He's even there when you don't think he's there. But what about Revelation 3? You got it. What? Wait a minute. We just read that God is everywhere. But what does this say he does to our lives, for our lives? For you and for me? He stands at the door and he knocks. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But he's not intrusive. In the Deep South, you say he's a perfect Southern gentleman. Okay? But he's not intrusive. And, and I'm going somewhere with this, so you have to bear with me as we go through this, gentlemen and ladies of the jury. We're going somewhere with this. And here we start. God is omnipotent, but he's also self-limited. We're just going to read Titus 1, 1 through 3. Does anyone have Titus? Yes. So here, it's, it's a New Testament terms about thing, but God brought about. He brought his word to life, to light, to reality. Okay? He's the one that does it. We don't do it. Our world was not created by ourselves. Nothing begets nothing. I think the song in, in uh, Sound of Music was right. Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing never could. Nothing comes from something. That something is God. And he's omnipotent, and he's the one that can make nothing into something. We can't do it. We have to have something there to make something else. But also, we learn from Genesis, and we also, in Genesis it says, I counted eight times in Genesis 1, 1 through 28, and God said, and God said, and the next statement was, such and such happened. Okay? So God is omnipotent. He says, he thinks it. And, and remember in Hebrew thought, thinking, saying, and doing were all part of the same process. They didn't separate it out as we do as Westerners. You think one thing, you say something else, and then you go some other direction. No. Hebrew thought, ancient thought, thinking, saying, doing was all part of one process. So God said and it was done. He's omnipotent. But in Isaiah 42, 14a, he says, I have been quiet and held myself back. What that tells us is that God has self-restraint. 
is not exterior restraint. I don't restrain God. You don't restrain God. The church doesn't restrain God. The government doesn't restrain God. God restrains himself. That's an important concept to remember because we have two things going on at one time. God thinks, says, does. God restrains. So if God thinks, says, does that I want to be a Christian and a Sunday school teacher, it's done. I don't have anything to do with it. But obviously, God gives us choices. So how does that work? We're going to talk about that a little bit more because I think this is a fascinating lesson I learned in studying prayer. This is something that's from Augustus Hopkins Stone, uh, Strong, who was a Baptist, Reformed Baptist preacher who was also a seminary president at the turn of the 19th century. And the other person he talks about, Herbert Spencer, was credited with uh, formulating the concept of social Darwinianism, or the social Darwin construct. Okay? Society evolves. You know. He said, as we pass on, let us not fail to notice that this self-limitation on the part of God, this distinction of himself from other beings is the very condition of our knowing him. Knowing is distinguishing. I cannot know anything except as I distinguish it from something else. If God were in no way limited, if he were the all, then no knowledge of him would be possible. He would be completely other, is what he's saying. Herbert Spencer, social Darwin, at the turn of at the late 19th century, uh, conceives that God would be more perfect if he was without marks or limitations. And since it is plain that what is without marks or limitations cannot be known, he calls God the inscrutable reality. He can't know it by paying attention to it, basically. But in trying to divest God of limitation in one way, he imposes limitation upon him in another. The impossibility of making oneself known is the greatest of all limitations. So if you get said that God could not possibly make himself known, you're putting a limitation on God. A God so shut up within himself would be no God at all. We wouldn't know anything about him. So what about the sun? We still got, we have 15 minutes, so we got to get going. Luke 22. 66 through 71. Who wants to be a Luke reader? You got it. Okay, so the Jehovah Witnesses say that Jesus never claimed to be God, but they, they have altered their, their translation. Because here we have in Luke, as the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, Jesus says, I am he, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of God, which 
means that he's saying, I am God, the same essence. The kenosis of Jesus, I love this. Isaiah already predicted this in 53.12 when he said that he will pour himself out. He poured himself out. Kenosis is Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It's a wonderful reading. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so this is the great kenosis and what happened? Jesus came into this world, and what did he do about his divinity? He self-limited. We didn't limit him. The universe didn't limit him. He limited himself when he came into the world. What does that really mean? It means that this story that we have in Luke affirms the humanity of Jesus. Jesus came to earth as a baby. That's about as self-limited a human you can be, I guess. So here we have God the Father. We learned all these things about Him. God's omnipotent. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's immutable. He doesn't change. He doesn't say, Hey, Michael, look down there at that Sunday school class. You see what Hammer's saying? No, he's not doing that. But Jesus, who's fully God, he said so himself, poured himself out and became fully human too. He became a baby. That's self-limited. So now we're starting to see a little bit more about why Jesus prayed. Because he was human. What about the Holy Spirit? I have to rush this, I'm sorry, because we are running out of time. And they'll yell at me if I go to 11. Okay, John 15 and Nehemiah 9 talks about this. I know you want to read, but i got to get to my, my final slides. That the Holy Spirit proceeds from. Nehemiah proceeds from God the Father. They don't say the Father, they just say God, but they think of the Father. John 15 says that Jesus says, I will send him. The Holy Spirit proceeds from. Okay? He's sent out. And he gives life. Ezekiel. Story of the dry bones. The Holy Spirit breathed life into the bones. Uh, John 6, 63 is the Spirit who gives life. That is, he's the life giver. The flesh conveys no benefit whatever. The words, the truth that I have been speaking to you are spirit and life. That's what Jesus said. So the Holy Spirit gives life. And he intercedes and he speaks to the Father. Romans 8, 26. 
through 27. In our weakness, we do not know how to pray. So what happens? You know this. The Spirit intercedes with groans. We don't know the words. Sometimes we groan. Oh, we don't, that's the Spirit is interceding, is working in our lives. It speaks to the Father. We don't know the language. The Holy Spirit does. But it's something that speaks to the Father. And finally, we need to, we need to read... We need to read some of this. Uh, Galatians 4. Can I get Galatians? It's 4, sorry, it's 4, 1 through 7. It's 4, 1 through 7. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Somebody can read that real fast. And read. Yeah, there's another typo of my fingers. Operator here. Galatians 1, 4 through 7. That's always 4, 1 through 7. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Okay, Sorry. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he, will, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because we were sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So what is this really talking about in the Holy Spirit and the renal prayer? Well, in biology, we have something called, for mammalian cells, active transport. Actually, for any animal cell. Active transport involves proteins in the membrane of the cell that pull something into the cell and push something outside the cell that consumes energy at the time. It's active. You have to pay a price of energy. Okay? In the same way, I think of the Holy Spirit as being an active transport connecting the Father and the Son, the Father and humanity. It's, an active, it's not a passive channel. There's nothing passive about it. It's active. The Holy Spirit is active in the prayer process. And what is he doing? He is drawing us closer to God. God doesn't change. We change with prayer. It's drawing us closer to God. It's an active process that the Holy Spirit is actively doing that requires energy on the part of the Holy Spirit. That's why it doesn't fall apart as entropy would do. Now, entropy is where things are neglected, they fall apart. We see that all the time, our houses, our cars, our bodies, or whatever else. But there's no entropy working to make prayer, the channel prayer, fall apart because it's an active process, which the Holy Spirit is the active process. How he does it, I don't know. I just know it does. I understand that because of the things he's taught us in biology. 
So where do we go from here? Well, prayer is not just saying our Father or Lord, help me get an A on this test or even praying for our family members who are sick. Prayer is much more, is much deeper. Prayer is an attestation, a test to something. It's a witness to something. What is a witness to? Prayer attests to the fact that God has self-limitation. He self-limited himself when he created the universe because he was giving us free will. If we didn't have free will, we wouldn't need prayer. It's an attestation that we were given the gift of free will. Why God gave us free will, I don't know. It would been a lot easier just to zap us and make us perfect, but he didn't. Because he, he somehow thinks that us coming to him, loving him, being willing to receive his gift is worthwhile. That's a God thing. Don't understand it. I'm glad he did it. Because I couldn't love him on my own. So prayer is attestation that God self-limited himself so that his thinking about me didn't change me immediately because thinking, speech, action. But instead, we have free will. He's self-limited when he created this universe. It's an amazing thing. Only God could do this. Secondly, a prayer test of Jesus' full humanity. He was born into the universe and he had a necessity to pray. That meant that Jesus submitted himself because he was God. He is God. He submitted himself to the terms of this universe being created self-limited. He was fully human. Otherwise, he wouldn't have needed to pray. I never thought about that before I started studying for this Sunday school lesson. That, that's clear to me now. Prayer attests to God's love for you and me, for all of us, because he's established a means that communes with us and draws us closer. Prayer is part of the process of sanctification, becoming more God-like, more holy, he uses prayer to draw us closer. Even people who don't believe yet, <coughs> excuse me, and they say little prayers, maybe he's using that to draw them closer because it's an active transport. The Holy Spirit is active, pulling us closer to God. Who would have thought? He would pick us, pick me. Prayer attests to the incorruptible and eternal nature of this channel of communion with God because this channel is a living action of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God, is incorruptible and eternal. Prayer works because the Holy Spirit works. Prayer works because the Holy Spirit is God. We call that the Trinity, part of the Trinity. The Trinity is necessary. Incidentally, if God is love and God loved before the universe was created, love has to have an object, otherwise it's meaningless. It's non-existent. So the very 
presence of love attests to the Trinity. But this prayer attests to the Holy Spirit being God, being incorruptible, eternal, an active process for us to come close to God. And prayer attests that God's desire, his desire that he limited to some degree to give us free will, but you see what the desire is? The desire is to draw us in sanctification, making us more holy, making us more like Jesus and in fellowship. That's a deep dive into prayer. You probably weren't planning to go diving today, but here we are. So the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's my prayer. Comments, rebuttals, new statements. Well, let's say a prayer to end up then. Father, we do praise you and thank you that you, you are eternal and immutable, but you're loving and you're just and you're merciful. And you gave us the gift of life you gave us a gift of free will and you showed us this through the gift of your son and through the working of your Holy Spirit we, we praise you for that and ask that you open our hearts and our minds to that so that indeed we are drawn closer to you and that we can walk the walk of sanctification with our friends and family and that you will lead us so that we can pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.